Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Snap No Tap podcast. I'm Tony Cicchini, along with the Polish prince, Martin Witkowski, and the world's a better place when Martin's on YouTube and the airwaves. How you doing, Martin? I'm doing good, Tony. I, I think the the world might not be a better place, but YouTube is a better place. There's a lot of crap on YouTube. <laughs> right. And, and we're adding to it. <laughs> That's right. Just pile it on. Who's going to notice? Pile it on. Like when I had to brush the leaves off my uh, the back deck here today, unbelievable amount of leaves. I just had to keep making a pile, a gigantic pile. And I don't know what I'm going to do with that pile, but it's there. It's gigantic. Well, you know, you're in the suburbs. Maybe you're allowed to burn them. Because I was driving through the suburbs uh, this weekend, and my son was like, what is that smell? He's never smelled burning leaves before. and He's eight years old. It's just something that you can't, you're not allowed to do that in Chicago. Well, you're not technically allowed here either because you got to be X amount of feet from your house. I have a fire pit, but uh, yeah, I, maybe I'll have to do that. I don't know. I just don't want, we, there's a couple neighbors that are uh, persnippity and they like to uh, rat you out and, you know, you will get a ticket for it. But, you know, that's my problem. So what else is cooking, man? Well, we had a uh, a seminar, a workshop this past weekend, and uh, we have gone in in the sequence of reviewing some uh, material and uh, practicing it. And we, you know, we've gone through um, some techniques that are on your membership site. But we've also gone down this rabbit hole of discussing old timey catch wrestlers and kind of how much of their knowledge can be assumed to have been true back in the day. In other words. I think you made it like a really interesting point that's been um, said before that you should never meet your heroes and you, you should never assume that some of these old time guys were heroes or as good and as advanced that we, we kind of give them credit for. Uh, right. And we specifically looked at some, some guys that, you know, have been hot over the years and, you know, their techniques are the ones that are on video are, are kind of unspectacular. Yeah. I, you know, there are some that were very legit. I mean, there was wrestlers, let's say, amateur wrestlers that were Olympic levels, you know, in, in the Olympics. Um, and they were, you know, fantastic amateur wrestlers for that time period. Uh, but like anything else, you develop. And part of the problem with, in my opinion, with the nostalgia craze, uh, is you're literally going back in time to where things weren't as in, as advanced. And that's just not true only for, let, let's say, fighting techniques, but for st stuff like music, okay? If you listen, to, you know, I'm a big music fan. If you listen to music from, now I'm not talking necessarily classical, I'm talking about, you know, popular music, you know, it was a bit more simplistic uh, and, and less uh, exotic, than it is, you know, currently, both uh, uh, harmonically and rhythmically. Uh, when it comes to wrestling, uh, or catch wrestling in particular, I think there's this sad emphasis on submission holds. And maybe that's because that's all certain people have been shown. Some They want to see some different submission hold, you know, that may not be seen now. Uh, or or whatever, uh, but they have to understand that these guys back in those days, the old days, they were fake wrestlers, okay? These were worked matches. 
their ability, their athleticism necessarily wasn't fake, but for in order for them to pull off some of these techniques, they were based on being a cooperative wrestling scenario. And very few, and I'm talking about guys that go, go way back um, to the 20s uh, or before, uh, they had some legit shoots, quite a quite a bit like in the gyms or something amongst themselves. But it became, you know, completely theatrical wrestling. Uh, and while these moves, like like you're saying, I, I fell in a rabbit hole last week. I don't know why I was on YouTube, but one video led to another, to another, to another, to another. And I started seeing some of the Japanese style, old style, uh, Pancrase or, you know, UWFI and all of that. That's very entertaining wrestling. I, it's loose. It's quick. It's entertainment. Is it applicable? Is it real wrestling in, in that sense? No, it's a, it's, it's a work match. <clears throat> and therefore, you train to move in a certain way uh, and, and, and to be very cooperative. Without dropping names, I showed you guys a video yesterday of a very legitimate Olympic wrestler, American guy, who was also trained in submission holds from somebody very famous. This is going way back into the 60s and 70s. And you saw him try to stretch out a, an absolute helpless guy, guy had no training at all. And he struggled to stretch him because the submissions don't work that he was taught very well against somebody who is going to resist. <laughs> All right. Yeah, just instinctively, this guy is a fish. He does not improve his position. He does not have a plan to escape. He just doesn't want to give up. He doesn't want to give up. And, and he was literally fighting for his life. I mean, the guy was scared shitless. Uh, he had no conception of what he got himself into. He thought he was going there for, in essence, a training lesson. And it, and it wasn't that at all. It was, it was a rough up session, um, terrible thing to do. And this is, this is the thing that you see some moves and I mean, again, they're dynamic. They look great, but what's the practicality of it? And time has proven, I've been saying this a long time ago, that what I do is different than what you see from somebody else. Time has proven that because these exotic and fancy or difficult submissions are not coming into play a lot in, let's say, MMA or any any high-level uh, competition like that uh, where uh, strikes are involved. They're re resorting back to gross motor skills, um, and and a lot of that, again, too, has to deal with your approach to training. What we were covering yesterday at this uh, training workshop was how to utilize your body and your opponent's body to to bring some of those exotic submissions into play, okay? You're not going to go get them. You got to have them come to you. <clears throat> Think of them like Uber, <laughs> Uber submissions, because now they got to come and get, and get you. Uh, and, and as you saw yesterday when, we were, when you guys are passing legs in certain ways, now leg locks are there that you would never have seen. Uh, you would never be able to get into that position unless you made your opponent 
end up like that. Um, but talking about those old timers, some of them were absolutely phenomenal. Uh, and I'm going back. Guys like George Tragos at Santel, Ray Steele, Toots Mott, uh, John Pesek. I hate to start dropping names because I forget. I can't name everybody. Ben Sherman, uh, you know, uh, but there is one name that I really want to talk about who, in my opinion, out of all the American wrestlers born and raised Americans, um, is Robin Reed. He was a small man. He won the Olympic gold. He was beaten and pinning heavyweights. He became a professional wrestler, even though we know now that, you know, we everybody should know that those were works. But even in gym shoots, nobody was getting the best of him. Uh, and he's a name that's, you know, very overlooked. Uh, and that's a shame. And another great wrestler of the past, not a pro, Henry Wittenberg. I'm avoiding names like uh, Luthez and Danny Hodge and so on because everybody knows about them. I, I'm and, and Lou and Danny uh, were were very legitimate. And once again, I don't want to – Vern Gagne – you know, uh, there's names I'm going to forget. Dick Hutton, okay, was another Olympian. Uh, but th those guys, not Lou, but those other three that I had mentioned were, you know, came from a solid amateur background. Uh, it's difficult to fluidly add submissions once you're already, you've been wrestling for 20 years without them um, because you don't, have to protect yourself uh, from certain attacks. Therefore, you base your offense on knowing, well, this guy, Let's. I'm going to use this as an example. I can do this move because he can't leg lock me. I can do this move because he can't choke me or arm lock me. So your whole approach changes once all of these things are added in. And I'm not saying it can't be done, but I've always said it before, submissions it's like an apple pie. You don't put the apples on the top of the pie. The submissions, the apples are baked into the pie. And these submissions have to be baked in. And you're not going to bake them in when you're learning them for a theatrical theatrical purpose, okay, or for entertainment purpose. Um, I watched a video. Some guy was talking about all the worked matches and uh, – throughout the years, up even into Pancrase and all the Japanese stuff. And he was quoting some book, but I think either the book or him has, has listened to some of my speeches about this stuff in the past. I'd say his video was about 80% accurate. Um, that Yes, uh, so much was worked. And this is not to take away anything from any wrestler as far as their athleticism, uh, their desire, their training uh, uh, intensity. It's just their purpose was to entertain the crowd. And it was very entertaining. I'd rather watch that than some of the other stuff we see nowadays. Right. What's your take on this? Yeah, it's, it's the general principle of nostalgia, right? Like you can even 
go back to, uh, you know, make America great again. That's a catchy phrase, but what does it really mean? America was never great for everybody, for everything, right? It, it's a complicated equation. And by the same token, like if you look at some of these all-time wrestlers, people attribute to them this level of skill that really there isn't any record of or proof of. I went down the rabbit hole of uh, Stanislav um, Zabisko, which wasn't even his real name. That was a, a name of a character from a from a book about medieval battles and knights and stuff like that. And, you know, if you start reading through this, he was promoting a lot of works. He was involved in a lot of works. How much has he really known? It's very difficult to tell. There is very little existing footage. So people attribute almost like a superhero status to some of these guys without direct evidence. Well, yeah, you're you're on it. And the other thing that you have to add to it is you you don't train any you don't train legitimately. You don't use legitimate holds as far as you know that are going to hurt your opponent because they really aren't your opponent. They're your uh co-workers, okay? I mean, these are these are jobs. Um and they were actors. And actresses, because there was female wrestlers too. So you're not trained to do this. And even if you did briefly, uh, it's so minute compared to like guys like us, your Brazilian jiu-jitsu guys, your, your sambo guys that are in the gym every day, literally shooting on each other, okay, trying to win. This generation has far more experience, legitimate, real experience, um, than pretty much all of the old timers. Um, they also, the old timers had to save their body. You know, these, not even just the old timers, even the pro wrestlers of, of pretty much the modern era, they perform so many shows a year, um, You've, 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 you can't risk getting injured, right? Uh, you've, you've got to try to save your stamina. Uh, you're never going to be in top shape because you can't, because you're, you're constantly, you're constantly working. You're never really training. You might weight lift or do your calisthenics, but you're not training to win a fight. Um, so that, that's another thing that you have to, you know, take into consideration and, you know, this is not to say that any of these old-time wrestlers couldn't have trained to be as, as good as anybody now. Uh, but that just wasn't – like when I was a kid, none of this existed. The, the difference between me and those guys, I was never steered in the direction of becoming a pro, a pro wrestler. I was taught to train for reality training, uh, whereas the old-timers were trained, you know, to make money, let's let's pack the seats. You know, if a guy like me, let's say, would would wrestle somebody back in the '40s and shoot on them and and get them out of there in ten or fifteen seconds or less than a minute, you know, people aren't, aren't, aren't they might ooh and ah the first time, but they don't want to they don't want to see that. Okay, they want to be entertained. So that's what it's all about. And one of the things that guy said in that video on YouTube was about that about you know, being entertained. And yeah, when you watch, let's say some of the 
UFC earlier UFCs where there was like extended grappling on the ground. It's painful to watch. Okay, most of the time it was very boring. Um, it, not a lot of movement. We're going forever. It would, yeah, it would go on. People don't want that. Okay, and the and the and the announcers were 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 bullshitting the whole wide world, saying, "Oh, there's a lot of strategy going on here." No, there was bullshit. There was no strategy going on. Really, it was just either holding on for dear life or hoping a guy would make a, you know, expose something. There wasn't a lot of movement to create any openings and so on. And the point is, it it, it wasn't working. It, it, you know, it just wasn't like very popular that way. It wasn't until, I hate to say it, until the wrestlers started coming in, if, I'm, if my memory's correct, shooting in, ground and pound and knocking people out quicker that, okay, this is getting people to, you know, getting them a little bit more excited and then, Maurice Smith with his stand-up and Pete Williams knocking out Mark Coleman with a kick. You know, the light bulb, I guess, started to go out on about, hey, people like these flashier sensational knockouts uh, or what have you. Um, and, yeah, it was it was getting hard to watch. But when I see some of the older Japanese stuff, and their works, a lot of people don't realize it because they're – stiff they're hard they're you know they're 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 uh they're not super fake looking i mean they are to a trained eye but i hate they're exciting and um you know the good news is you can you can put on a great performance on a sunday night and be ready to put on that performance the next day or tuesday or wednesday yeah, if nothing yeah. went wrong, right? If, not, if nothing went wrong in the freak injury, because you're cooperating, you know, you're things aren't as difficult as they look. And believe me, for for those of you who don't understand it, your body gets conditioned to you know absorb these punches or whatever they are. You know, uh, we'll call them that. Um, you're not you're not absorbing a punch like you would from Ernie Shavers or you know George Foreman or somebody like that. Um, so you start to get into a routine and you start to create patterns. And I got to tell you, some of those, some of those guys in Japan that, you know, uh, they had, tr they were, they, they looked very well-rounded on their feet. You know, they could punch fairly good, kick very well. They were, they, they had the showmanship style of wrestling, you know, down pat. And, and it was, uh, you know, it, to me, it was, it was quite entertaining um, and I know you, Lou Luthes and I, and I don't really want to get into it, but he talked about the UWFI when they tried to bring him on board and, you know, uh, things didn't, you know, things weren't as they appeared, apparently. Let's just leave it at that. And, uh, but it would have been, it would have been great if it was a legit um, shoot matches, but if it were, it would not have looked like what it looked like. That's all I can tell you. Right. And, um, you know, down, down the rabbit hole that I went, like uh, there was some um, threads where people chronicled, like uh, Stanislav Zabisko did a tour of Turkey. And to your point, he only had one match that was legit because he brought some other wrestlers with him. So he only did one match, and that was an amateur match against some Turkish prospective wrestler. Who knows if that was even real? So... You know, these guys would have to consider that for the entire duration of this tour, they had to stay healthy. He couldn't have a hardcore 
shoot match every single night of the week. He he wouldn't make it through the tour. He'd come back in a body bag, right? So like you know the, these things are you can't fake that level of conditioning to where you know you eliminate all the risk. Um, and the other thing that I want to point out is you know like the, the other thing that people get um, skewed by is that some of these guys had legitimate Greco-Roman you know titles from Paris and from St. Petersburg. That doesn't mean they knew any submissions. These were well, they they didn't, right? But- but there's asterisks on those tournaments as well. Um, yes. You can't. Th- there was scandal always, uh, especially back in those in those days where things with were not greasing with greasing, like same stuff that goes on here, like yeah, today, and maybe other things too. Um, they're very convincing, though, uh, especially when you get into the professional rank. Okay, where? Uh, well, here let's. I read the one link that you sent me. Um, and I may get the numbers wrong right here, but I'm not that far off. They said Hackenschmidt had an amateur record of something like either 38 and six or 38 and four or 38 and eight, something like that. That's not really an amazing record, but then he turns pro and all he's got 800, 900 wins are just ridiculous. You know, uh, it's just total bullshit. Um, and it can be very convincing, like, especially when like belts are being put up. Uh, it was a very interesting thing with that Turkish guy that, uh, that you mentioned that Komar or whatever his name was. Cool Komar. Yeah. I think he was Greek and he went to Turkey. So he'd get automatically hated. Yeah. He lost a match to the local guy. And then he lost again for the belt to the local guy. But guess what? The belt was never seen in Turkey again. Both matches were works. When he when Komar came back to wherever he went, America or something, he still had the belt because it's it's all the work. And, you know, I'm going to tell you guys the story. I may have mentioned this years ago on the uh, podcast. And I don't have all the exact details, but it doesn't matter. Um You'll get the you'll get the gist, and somebody, if they want to research it, go right ahead. I used to have all that knowledge in my brain, but now there's more there's more air up here than anything else. Uh, the great Ed Strangler Lewis was in Chicago, and he got into a car accident, car hit a car wreck or whatever, <clears throat> and he ends up getting into a fight there on the street with with the guy that was involved in the accident. They're they're fighting, and he. Lewis puts him in a headlock, this and that, whatever, until the police come. What is Ed Strangler Lewis, the reigning heavyweight champion of the world, at the time considered the greatest wrestler alive? What does he do? He challenges this Chicago citizen, this resident that doesn't know anything about fighting, to show up at the amphitheater or Marigold Gardens or wherever the hell the the match was going to take place to get it on. Wow. What a work, right? The whole thing, the, the accident may have may have actually happened because it was staged. But you talk about free publicity. You talk about these guys were marketers, man. They were very creative in the ways that they could try to pe- put people in the seats. And they would do a lot of things, just like the carny wrestlers had plants in the audience, you know, other wrestlers, and people Stooges. wouldn't know. It's not like today. Even like with pool hustlers, pool hustling is 
kind of take almost gone because everybody knows who everybody is. You know, they didn't know that 30, 40 years ago or whatever, just like with the wrestling. So, um, you know, there was, there was a lot of that going on, a lot of underhanded things. And even when it was acknowledged by, by sports writers that this is bullshit, it's, this is not true. The creatures that were wrestling, some of these guys look like you don't want to run into him on a dark street because they were big, they were bulky, they were, you know, they looked deformed, they looked the part. But pretty much most of those guys wouldn't really be able to handle themselves against a trained guy or a rough roughneck. Um, so it was very easy for these people to keep up the facade. Now, that being said, Ed Strangelewis in particular was a real deal, okay? He was big, strong, new submissions, uh, as did Ray, Ray Steele, who wasn't that big compared comparatively, but Ray Steele was tough. Ed Lu- national champ. His real name was Pete Sauer. He was an AAU national champ. Tragos uh, as well. Um, but it's an, and I'm sure in other countries, France, England, Italy, wherever they had pro wrestling, it was all the same phenomenon. It's like magicians, you know, they're all the same wherever you go. And everybody has their own little shtick. And if you start looking at it from a magical standpoint, that these guys are illusionists and they can't really float in the air, you know, the woman really didn't disappear in the box. She's, you know, it's, it's, there's people involved in this that are, you know, part of the crew, uh, stooges. When you start looking at it like that, then this is what I say where you don't put these people on a pedestal because you may be disappointed depending on what it is that you're looking to get from them. Is there knowledge they could share? Of course. There's, everybody has some sort of knowledge. Um, but, uh, these were works and they spent 40 years working, you know, doing work matches and practicing their working moves. Uh, us guys, and I don't mean just my gym. I'm talking about guys like Javier, Jason Bender, BJJ guys, this, that, whatever. They don't spend 40 years faking it. They're spending 40 years honing their craft, you know, to a high level. And one other thing I want to add is that Japanese judokas and jujitsus back in those early 19th, uh, 20th century, they were faking wrestling matches too. They were working matches as well. And techniques got exchanged, legitimate techniques or, or this or that, or create creative ideas got exchanged. Um, but make no mistake about it. They weren't above working matches. They they did. And Masoyama worked matches. You know, uh, Kimura that everybody likes to talk about worked matches and got, you know, got his bell rung bad by Ricky Dozan when he when it turned into a shoot. Um, and that video clip is on YouTube. So when you bear this in mind that, you know, these people all involved themselves in works as well, uh, it, it it should change your perspective on things. Yeah, and the the other thing that we 
uh, talked about a little bit of how some of these records are just, again, fake because it's part of the mystique. Like I was telling you about this Polish wrestler that my father remembers, uh, this uh, Pitlashinsky guy. And, you know, he his Wikipedia page says that he had 800 matches. Like who tracked 800 amateur matches in the 1800s? It's impossible. What's worse, well, you probably read it in Polish, but... My Wikipedia page, when you sent it to me, translated it, and it said that he had fights, like martial arts type fights. Which again, now we're, we're again we're going into the world of bullshit. Um, oh, it's complete bullshit. By the way, my dad remembers him as a guy that invented a lot of fitness stuff. He was like an inventor and promoter of cult- kulturystyka, which is what fitness means in general in in Polish, like you know muscle building and bodybuilding yeah. that kind of stuff. That's what he was known for. And somebody crafted this whole like thing about him, this mystique, which didn't even appeal to everybody. It's bullshit. Well, it, you know, and I mean, again, he may have been very talented in that day and age. I know that you wrote a book um, and uh, Secrets of Wrestling. Yeah, uh, if you can get your hands on it, that'd be great to see. I could look it over and I'll tell you right away if the guy was legit or not. Um, the thing here is, though, yes. It's been it's been inflated. Uh, you just you, the, the first of all the popularity the 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 modes of transportation back then all of that limits these gigantic numbers um, that you can put up. Let, let's let's look at baseball. You know they had a hundred. Baseball you know is was a major organized sport. Hundred back then one hundred and fifty two games per year okay um it, so and they had organized travel and they but they didn't go like they do today to the west coast and the east coast they couldn't do it uh but baseball also had scandals uh fixed uh, games and you know black Sox scandals and other shit so the point though is when you're getting to the guys like this uh, polish guy that you're talking about that i actually never heard of until you mentioned him uh I would say that's very dubious that he, you know, these these insane amount of numbers that they bring up. Uh, I remember before my I got my car stolen many years ago, and I had a real the real book by Frank Gotch, okay, and Hackenschmidt's book, and I had something else got stolen in my car. But I remember they had a list of the matches that uh, Gotch had, and I found it interesting that there was a group of guys that went on tour with him. So they might wrestle today. And then they're wrestling again, four or five days later, Fred Beal or something. And one of the, one of the things was that Beal hit his head on the ring post and got knocked unconscious. And, you know, this is, you know, ridiculous. This is ludicrous. This is, these are staged matches. These are worked matches. Okay. It's right there in plain, plain English. If you just want to decipher it, but, all of us at one point or another get a little bit of hero worship, right? With the musicians, you you hear somebody that you you love playing an instrument and you say there's nobody better. Along comes a guy that can bury your hero, but you're in denial of that, okay? You just won't accept it. And that's what happens with stuff like this, you know. A lot of people just don't want to let go. They want to believe the hype. Um and even though there may be somebody better than your guitar hero, it doesn't mean your guitar hero is a is a joke. 
There's just somebody that, you know, has more talent or has a different approach and so on. So same like with these guys. Doesn't mean they weren't they weren't nice people. Doesn't mean that they didn't have talents or they weren't athletic or they weren't naturally, uh, you know, uh, you know, really strong. It's just that, you know, they weren't training for fighting. Also, if you listen to read about Frank Gotch, he barnstormed allegedly. I mean, you know, he barnstormed. He went to Alaska and did these what in essence like tough man fights got his ass handed to him okay you know i mean he got beaten you know like a redheaded stepchild it was more like a boxing thing you know he so people have to think about that you know how would he have done in mma well probably not very good okay whereas a guy like danny hodge who had legitimate boxing skills you know he he wasn't going to win a world title but he'd have done his boxing would have probably been good enough or somebody like Paul Berlinbach, who is another guy who's an unknown hero. He was an AAU national wrestling champ and became the light heavyweight boxing champion of the world. Okay. Legitimately the light heavyweight boxing champion of the world. You don't think he was going to kick some ass in MMA. He probably win the UFC just because nobody's going to take him down and probably nobody's going to knock him out. And if he's smart about it, if he does get taken down or something like he's going to get back up because I'm assuming. Yeah. I think about the the level of athleticism on a guy that's a two sport champion. Correct. Correct. Absolutely. And and again, I don't, I don't know his, I mean, I'm sure he has some exposure to simple submissions that were in use back then, double wrist locks and front uh, chanceries, you know, front face locks. Um, You know, he may not have been, you know, up on the toe holds or I don't know. Okay, but what we do know is he was AAU champ and he was a light heavyweight boxing champion of the world. These are talented human beings. Let's get away from the submissions. Let's get away from all these funky submissions that people want to do for for a minute and just say, hey, you know, this is a tough guy. And has there, uh, to my knowledge, it hasn't happened, but has there ever been anyone with his credentials in the UFC. I don't think so. I don't think there's ever been a champion wrestler that was also a world champion boxer that ever competed in the, in the UFC. I could be wrong. It may be slipping my mind, but I don't remember a world champion boxer ever appearing in the in the UFC except for the the bullshit thing with James Tony. Okay? And and he was a well past his prime uh fighter and and had no wrestling abilities. So, you know, uh, these are the things that people should be searching out. And that's why I've told folks who've emailed me through the years about training, where can I train near me and this and that? How about this school, that school? I said, look, find find yourself a great wrestling program, maybe work at a local, local high school, and find a boxing gym. And just at least work on those things. Don't work on everything because you're, you're going to suck at it all. Um, but, yeah, I'm sure that there is names – I believe there was a wrestler, amateur, Olympic gold medalist, I believe, uh, Pete Marringer. I believe this is who it was, who reluctantly turned pro, pro wrestling, which he didn't, he just didn't want to do, but, you know, his wrestling, amateur wrestling career was over, so he could turn pro. And he actually had a match with Ed Strangler Lewis. And, I read an interview of his years ago, and I believe it was Pete Marringer, um, who said, yeah, well, we were working. It was a worked match. He says, but 
I know in my heart that I could have beat him if it was a shoot match. Okay. So I can't vouch that he would have beaten Ed Lewis. It would probably depend on the rules. Of course, if submissions were allowed, Maringer would have been in a, uh, a, a distinct disadvantage. Um, but there's also the tale of John Pesic uh, submitting uh, Nat Pendleton, who was an Olympic silver medalist, okay? Uh, national champ, Olympic silver medalist, became an actor, also became a pro wrestler. And allegedly he, I think, double wrist-locked him once or toe-holded him, this and that. Uh, I don't know if that was real. I, you know, that that's the problem when you start getting into this shit. You don't, you can't separate <laughs> truth from fiction. And right, and we we lived in a brief period of time where there was a uh, a video. You could get a video record that was indisputable, right? Like anything that was on video was assumed to be true, and that's ending now too. Now you, now you can fake videos, so that's well, going away. Well, sure, but also you can fake videos. Without, I could fake a video. I could make a video with you tonight, and and it could be faked, and you wouldn't even know it because I could maybe pretend like I'm really trying hard and let you get me in a move, and you'll right. never know that I worked you, okay? And I, maybe there's an angle for me to do that. And Absolutely. What I was referring to is how bad record keeping is. I was just skeptical about record keeping in general and how. You know, that can be manipulated or is there's gaps in record keeping or there, it just doesn't exist and people make stuff up. They do. And you also have to bear, not you, but you in general should also bear in mind that there is a lot of prejudice. And, and we've seen that. Uh, and, and that's been the case, especially in the martial arts, you know, even back to the kick uh, point karate days where, you know, you know, bullshit decisions and stuff like that. Um, so who knows what was going on back back then? Uh, none of us were there. And stories can get handed down and changed. You know, I tried to ask Luthez about the Pesic and Nat Pendleton thing. And that, you know, Fez was not a fan of John Pesic. So that conversation went nowhere. Okay. Um so I never got an answer out of him because I figured if anybody would have known, he would have. He probably wasn't there. You know, Pendleton was a generation before Lou, but I'm, I'm sure he knew him. And I know Lou wrestled Pesic and, and knew John Pesic. So I thought maybe he could have gotten, gotten something out of that. But what people have to realize about professional wrestling, especially then, that kayfabe, these people were like, they took a vow, in essence. It was like Omerita, like, like an organized crime, where you just didn't re reveal the secrets of, of this. And the, these guys, sometimes they get even a little like psychosis, I think, because I've, without mentioning names, I've talked to some old timers who are, long, who are not with us anymore, who were talking about matches that they had, as if they were real matches, you know, right. or, or it's moves. Like confirmation bias, right? They they, they confirm in their head that this really happened the way they were supposed to remember it. Exactly, and you know, um, it's just 
I had enough respect for these people then that, you know, you know, I'm not going to call them out on it, you know, uh, but yeah, you, you, you tend to start, there's an old expression in, in show business, uh, don't believe your own press. Okay. Because actors, musicians, athletes used to have press agents. I'm sure they still do. That would put out these fictitious. Oh, I'm going to tell you something in a second. These fictitious stories are build you up and you start to believe it. Now, listen, uh, I want the listeners out here to hear this. I have an old music book, very old on accordion uh, techniques. And it was, it was written by a man named Anthony Gallerini. And Anthony Gallerini was in vaudeville and all of that. And uh, in the book, it talked about his birth in Italy and his childhood and his music training. And, you know, then his family immigrated to the United States. Well, when, when Maestro Gallerini was around 100 years old, late 90s, he lived to be about 102. He was about 97, 98, something. He had to come to Chicago for, for a musical thing. And I had the honor of picking him up at the airport. Now, I didn't bring the book with me. I should have. I didn't think about it. But I got to pick him up, and I got to take him to the hotel, and I spent about an hour with him in the car, maybe more. And I asked him about his birth in Italy and this and that. He's like, I was never born in Italy. <laughs> he says, I was born in, whatever, San Francisco or something, California. The whole story, his whole background was bullshit in that book, okay? And this book was written in probably the 20s or maybe 1930, okay? So 100 years ago, people were bullshitting. And this is over accordion music, of all things. Now, Maestro Gallerini was the real deal. I mean, he did legitimately study and all of this, but they they inflated, they made up his, his history. Um, so if it can happen in that, you know it's going to happen in a sport like wrestling uh, where the whole premise is is bullshit. You know, it, it's, it's for entertainment purposes. Hell, Hackenschmidt had the same theatrical agent as, uh, uh, what was her name? Sarah Bernhardt, the, the famous actress of the 1800s you know um th th think about that i mean wow and again it's not taken away from his athleticism and shit you know he was a legit strong guy this and that or whatever but you know when they're talking about him picking up guys and slamming them so hard to the mat that it ends the match no chance of that you know unless it was a you know freak accident but no th this is a work shit like that's yeah. a work he wasn't that strong he wasn't gorilla strong yeah, he had a publicist. So if there was a freak accident, it was probably Bollywood as something that really happens every day if he gets his hands on somebody. Well, so, this, you know, but Martin, I think this is really important because even like with me, I sit here and I see how catch wrestling has been so, you know, miss, uh, miss, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, it isn't what people are making it out to be, right? There were legit guys you know, that knew how to really cripple you and hurt you. Um, but they're not going to cripple and hurt you with a sport or a theatrical move or series of moves, okay? That's the whole thing. For example, I always, the only martial art guy that I know anything about really is Jackie Chan. I think he's one of the greatest athletes that ever lived. So I use him because everybody in the world knows who he was. Those are theatrical moves that he does in those movies. 
I'm guaranteeing you, Jackie Chan, if you went to train with him <clears throat> to kill somebody, he's not going to teach you those moves, all right? And while the kick itself may work if, if he puts full power, the setup to it isn't going to be real. It, you know, the way he does it in the movies isn't going to work. That's the same with these moves. Forget just even the move. It's how did you get to that move? How did you move around to get to it? That's what's missing. And I think you brought that up about when Eric Paulson was on here on the podcast, because I had forgotten about that. And, you know, he even said over there, they're not wrestling or something to that effect, correct? Right, yeah, yeah. It was more about uh, practicing the, the chains and the submissions, but without starting from the feet, because, you know, that, that might not work out the way you want. You might never get in a position to do any of this stuff. Right. And the way they practice the chains is, again, very cooperative. You, in order to chain the way those guys chain, there has to be, there is, there has to be some compliance. Just now, just think about this a second. Let's say you want to go from a top wrist lock to a straight arm bar to a double wrist lock. That's one of their chains that they like to do. Okay. Um, you have to get the guy to actually do that. All right, I'm going to put you in a top wrist lock. Now straighten your arm. Okay. And now go down to the double wrist lock. Okay. This, that's, Right there, a problem, okay? That is a huge and a bad way to train because will it happen like that in reality? Maybe, but if it doesn't, you're in a lot of trouble if you don't know how to think on your feet. So it reminds me of these karate moves. There's such a similarity here. There was these karate moves that, okay, I'm going to throw a punch and you're going to block, and then I'm going to go number two, and then I'm going to go number three. It's like paint by numbers, okay? And if anybody doesn't do that, you're you're flabbergasted. You're done. Your, your sequence is over. Whereas when we chain, I mean, it's to sound like, or like when amateur wrestlers chain or boxers chain, they're effective because they don't, they don't chain necessarily on Hope, you know, making you, forcing you to do something. They're like that, like paint by numbers. They're going to get an angle. They're going to try to create an opening. They're going to try to make you do something that you're not even aware that you're doing. It's subterfuge. And and that's how you need to learn to chain. Um, I saw a video about two years ago in, uh, on YouTube and some guy who was, he said he was a catch wrestler. I don't know. He was getting bashed in the comments because he was going up against a jujitsu guy and he was doing pretty good. He was, I think he was winning. And at one point he tried some like really ridiculous move. I just couldn't believe the guy would do that because he was really had his shit together. And I thought, yeah, he's going to win this easy. And, you know, he blew it <clears throat> because he was trying to press something that wasn't there. And, you know, you could tell that he didn't train how to get to that hold or get to another hold. And that's unfortunate. I don't know the guy's name. I didn't even know it when I watched the video. But, um, you know, it's the whole approach that's 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 really missing, okay? And as you see, like with this uh, seminar we did over the weekend, you guys got me impromptu. I don't know what you guys are going to want to know. You just blurt it out, and then I show you. And I'm making – I'm – uh, 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 correctly getting into these positions where these holes are going to be there. I'm not reaching for them. I'm not struggling for them. 
because of the way I move, then you have to move a certain way. I know that. And that that brings some hold in, into my world. And that's how you have to really approach uh, fighting. And I don't see that being done. Right. What you're really referring to is that we one hold was there was a consequence to it. And from that consequence, you could move on to another hole. It wasn't like we were expecting one, two, and three to happen in sequence. But because one happened, two happened, and then that gave you an option to attack a different body part. Yeah, like you had the headlock or the choke hold, not a choke, but the side headlock, and then you can go into the cradle. Then you can move the guy from the head and cradle and then go into a toe hold, or then go into an actual choke, or then go into a neck crank um, in in a way that isn't trained by any theatrical wrestler because that sequence wouldn't be dynamic enough for, for the studio audience, okay? And there's many, many examples like that. You know, like when I was passing your legs, you know, and getting a toe hold, uh, as opposed to, you know, scrambling if we were in a jujitsu match. I just got right to the toehold. Um you wouldn't do something like that in a uh uh working match because again, it wasn't flashy enough. You know, I, I rarely see when I was watching Kung Fu movies as a kid growing up, you know, I never I don't think I ever remember remembered seeing a one two punch that ended the major fight. Okay, it was all this flair and dynamics and all this crazy athleticism that I could never have. And that's what was like really entertaining. When I see these one punch knockouts in like James Bond movies, I'm like, that's bullshit. I don't want to. I don't want to see that. that. That's boring. That's boring. That's not exciting. Okay, so, you know. I believe it was Rod Von. It may not have been. It may have been somebody else that told me this when I was a kid. But they said, real fighting is ugly, okay? If you're pretty, you're not very good, okay? It's ugly. And when you see stuff that looks beautiful, uh, you know, generally speaking, I'm, I'm, I'm really suspicious on that. I mean, yeah, you can do some miraculous things, especially if you're going up against somebody who's not very skilled or maybe something lucky, but things start to change quickly when you're going up against a resisting opponent or especially one who has a little bit of training or some strength. I know pro or I've read and uh, things from pro wrestlers on the subject of, you know, submissions and they're all like, you're not going to get those on a skilled guy, you know, those types of submissions. I don't want to mention names because there's several guys and it isn't just, Oh, it's Carl Gotcha or it's Billy Robinson or this or that. No, there's others too that, you know, um, uh, you're not going to get these against guys who are really, uh, you know, resisting or athletic. So it's like, if you're boxing, could you imagine going to a gym as a youth, wanting to be somebody in the boxing world, and you're and you're with your trainer, and your trainer in a moment of candor says, well, by the way, all this, these techniques I'm going to show you, they're really not going to work against somebody who's like really skilled or somebody who really wants to take your head off. Man, you'd, 
if you're smart, you'd find another gym, right? Oh yeah, it's, it's the exact opposite of what you want. You want the technique that will work on everybody, regardless of their skill level. Like in boxing, you got to keep your hands up. What if you run into a went to a gym that says, "Yeah, forget that. That won't work on the good guys. That will aim for your head." But on the everybody else, you can just avoid it and you know go into some flashy combination instead. That'd be bananas. Yeah, that, that would be bananas. But this happens a lot to a lot of people, and even even like legitimate tech. Let's say judo, okay? No one in particular, but let's just take let's just say judo, okay? Um, maybe because of the school you're at. Or the rule set in judo, maybe they have eliminated leg attacks and so on. Now you're throwing people left and right. You feel real comfortable. And you're out one night. You get into it with a guy who might have had some high school or college wrestling. And all of a sudden, you find yourself on your back because he, let's say, shot in or did a high crotch or he did something to you. Okay? And it's the same thing. There was nothing in the judo gym that was deceitful. It was just that the rule set, the the plethora of techniques that they can draw from in judo, let's say, just didn't cover this scenario. And and that's the same thing, you know, with 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 the wrestling or even with BJJ, okay, for example. They don't cover everything. They don't have a bottomless well of 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 techniques there's rules that they go by and we all have heard it no you can't do that you can't do this your son by the way just entered a tournament saturday and won the doggone thing congratulations on that by the way well it's still a a joke at that level but he enjoyed the, the competition and what i've tried to expand his mind on is that you know what we always talk about you don't have to stay on the ground that's not even in the rules it's it's kind of a consequence of how they practice because they don't have a lot of space. There's a lot of kids. They don't want to bonk each other. They stay down on the ground. But I told them, you go into a tournament, there's a referee, there's a mat, use it. Well, I've always said that. And especially in a street scenario, you don't want to stay down on the ground. You don't want to be engaged, you know, for a myriad of reasons that we don't need to cover again. But I'm glad he listened to your advice. and Or you your know, advice, really, by extension. Know. I would say, too, that now I, I I don't know this. This is just my opinion, and I, I, I shouldn't probably. I'll just share this. I don't have any inside information or anything. But I just think <clears throat> um, I saw the brawl for all thing, okay? I, I watched some of those video clips, and the one in particular was I Steve love that Black- stuff. It was so great. Oh. Well, was what's his name? Steve Blackman or Blackwell or Blackman? Yeah, Steve Blackman. I don't, I don't know these guys. And he fought uh, or whatever you want to call it, um, you know, Bart Gunn or whatever, whoever it was. Oh no, it was Mark Miro. Yeah, and, who had some boxing. And and basically, all he did, thirteen times he shot in and took him down. Okay, and he only has high school wrestling. He's like a martial artist, but he never used any of that. He did high school wrestling. To, to your earlier point, that's all he had to do. Yeah, and 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 to ex- expound on that a little, um, if you had a fit wrestler, that that's all he did, let's say in the UFC, shoot in, take you down, and immediately jump back up on his feet. I mean, granted, I know there's risks of getting knocked out, this and that. It's not always that easy. But let's just say it was. You know, it was a perfect storm where you had a guy that you could just do this with at will. Um, 
How's that going to go over with the crowd? It's not going to go over, okay? He's going to get booed. Oh, it's terrible. Yeah, yeah, and he'll probably never get welcome back. Um, you know, so there's that element of it as well. You have to be uh, entertaining to a degree, right? I mean, this isn't some, you know, random draw out of a lottery uh, out of a you know bingo thing you know that they they pull out your number and all of a sudden you can go in there and do whatever you want <clears throat> you're hired you know by the organization and i'm assuming they want you to perform in a certain way that's going to pack the seats the more seats that are packed the more money is going to be made and that's really what it's what it should be all about so these are things that you have to think about and that's why when I emphasize the street tactics of rips and elbows and just, you know, nasty stuff, when you couple that, when that's not the only thing you have, but when that's an addendum to all your other techniques, you know, it, it changes your approach to how you fight. And if you're in a tournament where you're not allowed to do any of those things, well, then you got to alter your whole style. And, and that, it can be difficult. I mean, for many people, um, I know it was always hard for me, but I just always resorted to not even doing anything to anybody. When I sparred with anybody, I would never rip at all or hit or do anything like that. I would just, I'll grapple them and stuff. Um, but I would use other approaches that aren't available, you know, in the jujitsu world or some other world like that, uh, you know, some grappling world, but now, now I'm 60 years old almost in a few months, and you know those I can't move like I used to. But this all this this is what I I think we really need we really need to talk more about this. And if if you shed a light on on these old timers or others that aren't necessarily old, uh, it doesn't mean that you have to abandon them. You just have to look at them in a different light and say, hey, okay. Maybe they weren't real, real shooters, right? Or to that extent, like the term, that term gets misused as well. Um, but, you know, but what else could I gain from them? Maybe they had great exercises that I could do, or maybe. That's right. Yeah. You know, Some of them were real experts on physical fitness. And, you know, they didn't have all the modern trappings. They had, they were experts in their own environment. Yeah, or learn how their legitimate moves, like their takedowns or their throws. Learn their little setups to it, okay? Because, like, when I would be, you know, when I was with Luthez, we used to talk, he'd always want to see, how did Tony, Tony, how do you get into this move? How do you get into that move? What was your setup here? And then I would say the same thing, how did you do it? And then sometimes he'd say, here's how Ed Lewis did it. Here's how Ray Steele did it. Here's how George Tragos did it. I mean... I got a wealth of knowledge there that no one wants to know because it wasn't about a new submission hold. It was about an authentic move and a cunning way to get there, you know? And that, so that's like, you're not looking for a brand new song. You're looking for an established song that everybody loves and a new arrangement of it. Okay. If you look at it that way, and that's how I approach things musically, uh, it was like a beautiful thing. It was like so wonderful. I'm like, oh my God, I never, you know what? I never thought about getting into that move by doing this or 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 that. 
And Lou said the same thing. He's like, Tony, I never thought about going like that because, again, Lou's idea was more, first and foremost, theatrical, and then secondly, to self-defense or self-defense, uh, defending yourself in the ring or on the street. But, you know, those are those are the things that I see are are really lacking, that people just want to see the pomp and circumstance when – Man, you need to work on your foundation. And like you mentioned all the time, people who drop their hands or stick their chin out or do something ridiculous and get knocked out, you know, it's it's your foundation. And 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 that's what separates many um theatrical wrestlers from you know the real deal is that they have foundational skills. For theatrical wrestling that I don't have, you don't have, most people don't have, we may have the foundation for the legit stuff that they may not have because it 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 just really wasn't necessary, you know, in their line of work. You know, it just it just wasn't. That's not what they practiced, and you you end up learning what you practice. Well, it's, it's just like all the, like all the police and all the military guys that I've trained. They don't learn how to, they don't learn these, they don't learn serious moves on the job. They have to go seek it out, okay, on their own. And then they have to spend years, you know, in, in basically daily practice to get to get good at them, okay? It, it's, it's the same, it's the same thing. It's the same principle, you know. Um, but... You know, I guess this is lost on a lot of people, and it and it's not bashing in any way, shape, or form. It's just shedding a light on things. And when when you sit there and analyze it and say, okay, uh, like the uh, the Iron Sheik, okay, the, he was on the Iranian Olympic team, right? No, he wasn't. Okay, he was an AAU champion here in the United States, right. but he was he was never an Iranian Olympian. Ironically, he was an American wrestler. Yeah, I mean, he was from Iran, but yeah, you're right. He was an American wrestler. Does now does that mean that he sucked? Of course not. Okay, uh, just that you know, he wasn't an Iranian wrestler. I mean, uh, he wasn't an Iranian Olympian. Now they also said he was a Shaw of Iran's bodyguard. I don't know. Was he capable of being his bodyguard? I don't know. I mean, did he have legitimate wrestling skills and was he a legitimate tough guy? Yes. I don't know what the Iranian, the Shah of Iran was looking for in a bodyguard. Maybe he wanted a guy that was, you know, deadly with a, you know, a, a Glock or whatever. Well, Glocks didn't exist back then, but, you know, whatever, a pistol. Nunchucks. Sort. Huh? <laughs> Nunchucks. Yeah, we're right. We don't know. But this is the this is the thing that you have to really be, you know, uh, concerned with this guy in the wrestling was a world champ or this guy was the east coast champ yeah but that those were works they, they were the champ but it, it they're works they're, they're not legit you know so you, you gotta look at you gotta look at <coughs> all of that um you know uh and and that's why i was exposed to all of the fraudulent stuff when i was a young man um when i, I kept I was told over and over again, this guy's not real. This guy's not real. That guy's not real. That guy's okay, but not heavy duty, uh, blah, blah, blah. 
basically there's just a, a few guys left in the world. And that's when I was a kid. Now those guys are gone. Okay. They're all, everybody's dead. So, uh, it, cause it wasn't like boxing, man. You know, it just, it just it certainly wasn't. And without mentioning the name, cause the guy's still alive, that video that you saw, uh, of, of, of that poor guy getting, getting manhandled and worked over, um, I looked at it as how the wrestler was didn't do a good job with those submissions, okay, and, at all. And um, if he were he was able to get, I don't even want to say what the hold was because I don't want to tip it off. But even if he got that first hold, the guy would have been asleep, or the guy would have been done, and that would have been it. But he struggled so much to just to get that hold because. You're not trained to do it against a resisting opponent. That's the problem. And, yeah. it went you know, for the long. yeah. So now you had a question. I thought you said you wanted about technique or something or, or what? You got no, time? You know, we, we, we can save it for the next time. Uh, I think this okay. has been a, a very good summary of what we talked about. And I encourage people to look at your membership site and, and those techniques that we've covered this past uh, workshop, because, you know, not only are they uh, natural progressions, not, fake chains, but they also leave you always in a very good position to maintain where you're at. If you don't get what you need, you don't blow it. Well, let me just say this on that, because there seems to be a, now and then a uh, misunderstanding. You only get one video per month. Now, these videos that we're doing now, this, they're, they're deep into the membership. This is like almost, we're at month 32, okay? So this is a commitment, and you're going to have to you know, make a commitment and it's a, it's a minor commitment. It's, it's $10 a month for videos that you're never going to see on YouTube from anybody. Okay. I mean that. Okay. With all the little, you might see the hold, you won't see it done the way we do it and all the other stuff that goes along with it. If you can't afford $10 a month, then I, I get it that, you know, you know, if, if you have the money, you just don't want to spend it on $10. I get it. There's nothing I can do. But these are for people who are really dedicated and who want to learn the best techniques that they can and take their game to, to another level. And I cover strikes in it, too, on certain months. Um, that is so important. You can, for, you can forget about sport grappling because, you know, alone, because all these organizations seem to have, you know, they make up all these rules – you know, there's no universal rules anymore. Um, so there's just no way that I even care about any of that shit. Um, I like what I do. Uh, just as if you're a boxing fan, you know, you're not going to, you know, you want to learn how to box. Well, you're not going to, you're not going to watch a jujitsu tape. Okay. Cause you're not gonna learn how to box from that. So if you want to learn these, you know, BJJ tournament rules stuff yet yeah, i'm not the guy for that okay but i i do believe that i couldn't do any of this without you guys i mean the initial videos there's some that it's just me uh alone because we filmed we started this almost three years ago in the midst of covid and you know there wasn't access to people but at ten dollars a month you stick with it you're going to have you know, years worth of material because 
you know, every month we put up new stuff and ultimately, yeah, you're a three year lag, but you'll catch or two and a half year lag, but you'll catch up. Um, so I really wish people would start doing it. Uh, it would help me too tremendously. You know, I, I've heard of people who have three, four thousand, five thousand signups for their membership site. Man, if I had that kind of thing, it would allow me to do a lot more uh, for free. Um, I could do things um, if if I had that kind of income. But when when I I don't even have enough income to make the bills to, to basically cover, you know, the running of the website. I'm limited. I can't do shit. So uh, anyway, we're done with that. But I do want to congratulate Martin again uh, and your son. Uh, uh, terrific. He got his medal. I have to get you a medal too, Martin. Um, what we, uh, an update on Joe Cardinal. Joe is still there. He worked out with us uh, uh, yesterday. It was, yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, still looks as good as ever. I mean, come on, that's never going to change. Um but, We've yeah, tried to just, ruin the way he looks, but it, it just won't come off. No matter yeah. how hard you rub his face, it still stays beautiful. Well, there's an aura around the guy. So he's got yeah. this, like, defense shield that's just not even legal. He couldn't even enter any of these tournaments because he's got this shield that they would force him to take off, and he can't take it off. Protection. Um, divine divine protection. You, but he, he just needed a break from the uh, uh, you know from the podcast. He gets down. He gets depressed that, you know, things aren't better uh cooking frankly but i'm sure we'll get him back maybe we should have to have him soon because the holidays are coming up and the greatest gift that i could give the world is a few minutes with joe cardinal correct yeah it, it just makes your holidays that much better i know it's it. the jingle it's the extra <laughs> jingle you well listen everybody thanks again for watching and or listening I, I do appreciate it. This keeps me going, uh, you know, mentally. So thank you, Martin. And everybody, we'll see you next time. Thank you.